0: TUNING IN WITH KRASIA, BRINGING HUMAN STORIES TO LIFE.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of TUNING IN, brought to you by OASIS by KRASIA. Today I speak with Nicole Ui from Welcome in My Backyard, also known as Wimby. She is the lead and their mission is to mobilize all of Singapore society to create a safe space for all new migrant worker neighbors with the wider goal of normalizing relationships between migrant workers and local Singaporeans. So why don't we start off just from from the beginning, I guess, and maybe explain what WIMBY aims to achieve and some of the initiatives that you run to achieve those goals.
0: So I guess we started WIMBY in April when they first announced that migrant workers were gonna be moved into rehouse sites, so close to residential areas. Because it happened a couple of years before where a similar announcement was made, and residents of that area, I think it was Sarangin, they kind of started a petition to get everybody to sign to say, oh no, we don't want migrant workers in our area. And so we were trying to preempt that and counter those negative sentiments towards migrant workers, which is why uh, welcome in my backyard instead of not in my backyard. It was a direct. Yeah. yeah. So we started really small, I guess. Uh, Everything had to be online because it was Circuit Breaker, of course. So we started with welcome notes. So we got people in the residential areas and just across Singapore to write notes welcoming migrant workers into their areas. So we got some really sweet stuff. So we got things like, oh, welcome to Jerome. And then these are my favorite places here. And we hope that you get to check them out later on to quite broad just thank you notes for everything that people had done. These workers had done for Singaporeans I guess and then from then we also moved on to some panels and discussions so we started with the very basic stuff I guess our very first talk had to address the health and safety part of migrant workers moving into local areas so we had doctors and we had migrant workers on the panels and we had migrant workers on all the panels so we went through a variety of topics just focusing on our main goal of humanizing migrant workers In the Singaporean's eyes so unlike a lot of other organizations our goal isn't to do casework and work with migrant workers and it's not just to educate about migrant worker issues like statistics and things like that we really want to foster some kind of interaction and allow for relationship building between Singaporeans and migrant workers in the hopes that there will be some level of integration in the future so our target audience is really Singaporeans yeah Mm. And from that, we kept moving on. So after our panels, we uh, started a community. So we had a Facebook group and we ran events such as karaoke events (laughs) with migrant workers and locals because the market workers told us that they really love singing. So they would bring songs that they liked, and whether they were in their own languages or even English songs, like a lot of them like Ed Sheeran and things like that. Okay. <laughs> so we had some similarities. We were all singing along, it was mm. pretty fun. And it was also quite a nice cultural exchange because they would tell us more about like the famous songs in their cultures, like you know the pop hits for mm. them, and explain the lyrics. And when things started opening up, we really got to start doing our I guess what was our main focus from the beginning which was to foster a level of interaction so we started having afternoons out which meant that we had migrant workers from our rehouse sites that were in the residential areas and local residents from those residential areas go for an afternoon out together so we had sports as she coaches and we played some games and then we did a nature walk around (laughs) looking at nature park Mm. yeah Okay. So I guess we've done quite a few things. We've also gone through. Well, I guess at one point, one of the key issues was migrant worker mental ha- health. So they had started going back to work, and a lot of employers were kind of like, "Yeah, they're working now. There's no more issue. There's nothing for them to be worried about." But there was still a big concern about their mental health because a lot of migrant workers, I mentioned, they still felt quite trapped because they couldn't move around or they still felt quite worried because it has been so long since they worked that the money coming in wasn't really enough yeah. and so we also ran a campaign about migrant worker mental health that also included domestic helpers so we partnered with mm. a domestic worker organization called made for more and we did a campaign about migrant worker mental health right
1: right and how did you get involved in that? i guess how did you get interested in it
0: so, yeah. I guess it was during Circuit breakers. quite a funny story, but I was on a Zoom call, a wine Zoom call, as you do, with some of my close friends, and one of them co-founded Wimby, and he asked if we'd be interested in it, and I jumped on it, I was like, hey, yeah, I would be, and so he brought me on immediately as their social media manager. So that's how I started, I started running the media strategy team for Wimby, and then he and the other co-founder eventually handed the reins over to me, which is how I'm running it now, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: And before you started, I mean, were you, you, you have any much, you know, awareness of some, the plight of migrant workers? Or were you a little bit clueless? In right.
0: I would have to say I was a little bit mm. clueless. I had just returned from the UK right before that. So I graduated and moved back and then started working and then COVID happened and that's when everything kind of came into the light right the migrant workers lived experiences that so many people knew nothing about if you weren't already in the space and when i heard about it and then i was given the opportunity to jump on wimby and do something about it i really wanted to i've been thinking before that what can i do there's nothing much you can do you just hear all these stories in the news and it's so horrible and it felt really eye-opening i guess like from a position of privilege to have never heard about these things and never had to care about it and then yeah so i, I was pretty clueless i have to say yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally ignorance on my part and i guess through this time it's really humbled me because throughout the experience i feel like i'm learning a lot from like my migrant friends having conversations with them and i think that's a thing about WIMBY because our aim is to reach out to other Singaporeans. We're not saying we're experts, so we always defer to our migrant friends. So everything we do, we ask for their opinion. We want to hear it from their point of view. And we want to know what's important for them, to, what they want to tell Singaporeans. What's important for Singaporeans to know like from their perspective, not just what we think is important to them. Because you get that a lot in the news as well. Like, mm. oh, yeah, if we... If we have bigger dorms for them, if th- this is more comfortable, that's it. All their problems are solved. But that's not all there is to it. There's so much more to it that it's important for us to bring across. If it's what our migrant friends want us to bring across. Mm. Mm.
1: So you did mention the petition right at the start. You know, obviously people weren't comfortable with you know migrant workers coming in the community. But what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions within the community about migrant workers that creates these barriers? integration within
0: singapore well i guess there are a lot of negative stereotypes Mm. i think we as a team have decided that we never want to give those stereotypes the airtime ever we never Mm -hmm. talk about them but because they're just so horrible and they're so untrue and i think a lot of them come from a perspective of distance like if you've never met a migrant worker up close you've never interacted with one where are these ideas coming from you're just hearing little whispers from elsewhere or just portrayals from other people. And I guess those things do cause barriers. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, migrant workers come here to work, to earn money for their families. They're not here to, I don't know what you think they're trying to do in their free time, <laughs> uh, like encroach on your personal comfort or mm-hmm. things like that. And I guess it's also a fear of something different or foreign, I guess, that causes Singaporeans who have had no experience to default, to keeping to themselves, keeping away from that rather than opening themselves to the possibility of something negative. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, that makes a lot of sense. You don't want to give your time to um, negative perceptions because it's just going to help spread it yeah
0: right. if you hadn't heard of it before and i say it now you're yeah, like yeah, oh yeah exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah that's true yeah. i was like no it's not <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in terms of some of the challenges that micro workers do face on a sort of day-to-day level what are some that i'm not sure but this is something again that you, you don't want to share just because of the, the negativity you're around but what are some of the challenges that micro worker faces daily that the wider public may not be aware of
0: I guess there are the basic things that I'm sure the public are kind of aware of, like, you know, money issues, employer issues, things like that. But I guess during this time especially, I'm hoping that Singaporeans have some kind of basic understanding of it as well because they've experienced it to some level, you know, during Circuit Breaker. But that kind of feeling of having your movement very restricted, which really has an impact on your mental health, I think that's still a big thing now because there's still some restrictions on when and how migrant workers can take their off days and i think that is still something a challenge that they do face and also still in terms of just i guess feeling out of control because so much of it is dictated by their employers if they have really good employers who are very good to them then this whole process might have been not as bad for them but Still, you're trapped uh, Mm. in your dorm, your movements are regulated, and there's also different levels of control based on the different employment passes that you might be on. Like, for example, I found out yesterday Mm. that so if you're on an S pass, then you can just kind of move around, but if you are on a work pass, for example, you're not. Oh, uh, one of my migrant friends told me you're not allowed to take public transport other than to go between your dorm and the recreation center. So you can't go anywhere else still.
1: Wow, okay.
0: Yeah, so even within the community, there's a big gap. And, you know, there's still very different living conditions across the different types of dorms. So it's really a case by case thing. Like every migrant worker has a very unique and different challenges, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: So in terms of those challenges that they face, how does you know, some of the work that you guys do alleviate them that? I guess because like a, a little bit of a struggle, I guess, in terms of, of they like, you know, how, how does it, how do you guys try and help out to ease that sort of uh, that burden?
0: I guess what we do a lot is to kind of hopefully build a more welcoming society for them, especially as our migrant friends are starting to hopefully be able to come out a bit more and start to integrate back into the community, just in terms of, you know, actually being able to be in the community and travel around in the community. Because I remember very early on during one of the panels and it's something that's been repeated by quite a few migrant friends over time is that they feel like Singaporeans might need a reminder that they are also humans and we hope that what we are doing is helping with that aspect you know ensuring that Singaporeans kind of get that jolt to realize that oh hey there's so much more to the migrant workers in Singapore like some of them are such amazing poets writers singers dancers they are complex human beings they're not just a statistic that you see in your MOH daily message or covid statistics and there's so much more to them and if you get to know them they're like very very interesting and beautiful friendships could occur i think that's something i've experienced personally during this time and I think those who have managed to go for the afternoons out have also started to build really good relationships with amongst themselves. And we hope that that's something that we can encourage on a larger scale. So we also have, we have had during this entire time, people come and approach us and tell us, hey, we know that there's this site near us. We want to do something. Can you help us? So we're really starting to see the community want to welcome them in, themselves, so not everything is coming from us, and that's what we really want. We want to foster the sense of welcoming, I guess, in every community hmm. to the point that they want to initiate, they want to be the ones to start projects within the community and continue those. Yeah,
1: okay, okay. What would you in the team like to see happen long term in Singapore to ensure that the quality of life of migrant is improves over time?
0: Oh, I guess that's really hard. <laughs> Even our basic goal of integration, we know, is quite difficult because it's quite an uphill battle. Obviously, we have the younger people who might be quite, quite a bit more open-minded and be very willing to listen to all of these ideas that we've been giving, I guess. But there are also some people who might not be that open to what we've been saying or might not ever come across welcome in my backyard because it's not the kind of thing they will consume on social media and therefore they'd never be led in this direction so we do know that there are friendlies and not so friendlies I guess and I guess our base hope is that we will be able to continue to demystify and humanize migrant workers to continue to allow people to want to give that chance even so to not completely just shut down or ignore them or pretend they don't exist like i think it would be wonderful and quite a few of my migrant friends have said it they think it'd be wonderful if somebody saw them and just wanted to walk up to them and ask them their name
1: Mm. have a
0: conversation with them just a simple conversation just acknowledgement that they're more than just somebody who cleans your street or fixes the piping or anything like that Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a small step, but that's where we hope to start from. And then maybe from there, more can happen. So we hope from our afternoons out specifically, which are our main thing, I guess, because they really do encapsulate in- everything that WIMBY is hoping to achieve. We are hoping that we kickstart these in the individual communities and then they continue them themselves because they want to. So we're hoping that local residents want to take that ownership and continue to interact and build relationships with the migrant workers in their areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. And you've mentioned quite a few initiatives already that you run. What are some of the other sort of bigger plans that you've got moving forward?
0: Well, I guess our biggest thing is always going to be our afternoon app yeah. thing because that's our main goal. Besides that, we have a couple of things that have been in the works and we're hoping to continue long term. So we have a documentary series.
1: Oh, okay. So
0: we've put up one so far, and we're in the process of doing a few others. So we were in collaboration with a Singaporean filmmaker who's based in New York. And so basically, what we do is we just, well, our filmmaker and some of our team kind of call a migrant worker who wants to be featured and let them tell us their story. So there's no specific theme. We really want to let the migrant worker tell us what is important to him and what he wants us to know. So our first documentary was four or five minutes long. They're all quite short because eventually we're hoping for them all to be combined into one longer piece. He talked about how he wasn't able to go home for his wife uh, giving birth to his first child during COVID period. And we have a few other stories lined up that will be coming out in the next few months. Mm -hmm. Besides that, we also have been doing some school engagement So we have schools partner up with us, and we have a short presentation deck. And also they do welcome notes or other activities, care packs for the migrant workers in a site near their school. Mm -hmm. And so that that kind of starts them kind of younger (laughs) in that sense. You know, you kind of let them understand a bit more about the situation. And I do think that because social media is quite a young people's place so you do see a lot of social activism and we're hoping that this helps them to consume social media and understand a bit more about the situation and want to be curious and continue looking for this information because besides us uh, all the big migrant worker organizations have really really comprehensive information and tidbits all over their social media it'd be really really cool if secondary school children students children (laughs) decide that oh we want to check it out more and then they get informed because i think the basis for a lot of our non-local integration efforts so things like national advocacy or things that we do on social media the basis of that is providing the information to have those conversations with other people so for example we've heard even volunteers in our team talk about how yeah they've heard some stuff and read up on some stuff and then they've managed to have interesting conversations with their parents about stereotypes around migrant workers and their attitudes towards migrant workers and I do think that that kind of helps to eventually slowly change people's mindsets, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to hear it from some random person on social media, but if your own family's having a conversation about it, you might listen.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just on a final note, you mentioned that you know, migrant workers they appreciate people coming up to them and, and asking what their name is, etc. Generally, what, what can people do on top of those, something like that to make micro-workers really feel welcome and, and part of the community?
0: I guess this all comes back to something that one of my migrant friends said at the very first panel that we held, mm-hmm. that they want to be treated like equals. So I think a lot of the time when we interact with migrant workers, it comes from almost a perspective of, oh, here, let me help you. What do you need help with? Mm-hmm. What can I do for you? Yeah. But if we were to really see them as equals, to integrate them into our society, it's to acknowledge the fact that they might not always need our help. They are not some disadvantaged population that we just constantly need to support. They come here and they work. They are supporting themselves to some extent. And if we really wanted to have genuine relationships with them, As with all of our other friends, you don't just go to your friend constantly and be like, what do you need help with? How can (laughs) I help you? And bringing that kind of equality to a conversation and interaction really changes the dynamics. And it allows for a lot more, I guess, real relationship building. And I think that's what everybody as human beings wants, right? You want genuine human connection. You don't want to feel like you're being pitied or supported because somebody thinks you need the support you want to connect with people and you want to feel like you're genuinely welcomed and seen
1: fantastic thanks for your time that's all the questions we have